0: All right, everybody, if we could, let's make our way back to our seats as we prepare to get into the word of the Lord this morning for our church. Who's ready for God's word today? All right. Well, let's, those of you who are excited, then let's find a seat. <laughs> awesome, man. Haven't we been blessed this morning so far? Our worship ministry, God's presence, encouragement from, from heaven above. It's been good so far. It's going to continue be, to be great this morning. Listen, I get to introduce our, our speaker this, this morning, a uh, longtime member of our church, uh, very faithful brother uh, to the kingdom of God, and a uh, longtime friend uh, of mine as well. Uh, one of the things I love about Max Garner is his transparency coupled with his vulnerability. And when you, when you have those two components working in your life, Friends, God can do something big, and uh, that we not hide behind shadows, but we just be who God has made us to be. And I appreciate that about Him. And today, God's put a word on His heart uh, for our church, and it's my privilege to be able to introduce Him and give Him this pulpit for the next two minutes. All right, that's all He gets is two minutes. No, I'm teasing. All right, help me welcome our dear brother in Christ, Max Garner.
1: Love, Love you, man. God. I think I got that. Right. Yeah, you're all right I put on Facebook this morning when I checked into the church here. Um, I'll just read it to you. Max Garner at New Life Church of Jackson. We have a guest speaker this morning. God help us. LOL. So far, I've had one of my number one fans, my sister Vicky. She says, "Oh, I hear he's fabulous." Uh, she's a prophet, so she knows. Uh, now I'm going to take just a moment. I'm not on the clock yet. I'm going to set my clock, my stopwatch. You know, my stopwatch or my timer? Which one do I have? Stopwatch. Okay, started. Okay, you ready? I hope I hope you're ready. Um, you know we we never know when God is going to do something new in your life. We most that have been raised in church are we're sort of on this cycle where it's the same thing in and out every day, every Sunday. We live our life, we go to church, we go out to eat, we get up, we go to work, uh, we read our Bible, we feel really spiritual, we do really good. We come to church, we have that good look on our face like I'm all right. And when the pastor says, you know, be open and honest with each other, everybody says, okay, but you're not. You know, uh... People get up and say, well, I just want to thank the Lord that uh, I've got nothing hidden in my life. I'm living for Jesus. That's not always true. Amen? It's amazing how we will, over our Christian life and experience, compartmentalize some things that we can share. Oh, sister, you did a really good job a month ago, but that outfit you wore... Now I could share that in the right tone of voice, with a distance for not getting slapped, and she would receive that because she's a grope, she's growing in the Lord, and and she's being used of God. But then there's other things. If I said, uh, I told you, you go. Whoa! I did not sign up for this. Uh, but I do want to thank all of you. For being here this morning, my wife and I drove nonstop all the way from Midtown to get here. <laughs> and and we're just uh, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, I looked around, I've been preparing this message for a month, and uh, I've been praying for God to send the right people. and I looked around this morning and looked at all the faces. And there's really only one person that's not here that should have been here today. And I'm not going to tell you who that person was. (laughs) But the rest of you, I prayed in. So if you're here this morning, God sent you here to hear something real, to hear something vulnerable and to witness His great love. I want to start out by reading you a little story that I uh, ran across. There's a lovely story about a skydiver who drifted over a hundred miles off course and landed in a dense forest. Strung up and dangling in the trees, tangled and terrified of the fast approaching night, he began to yell for help. After a few moments, a man who was out for a walk chanced upon the skydiver. Hello, I need help, where am I? Called the man in the tree. You're stuck in a tree with no way out. You're surrounded by a forest and it's getting dark The other man replied, Of all my luck, said the skydiver, I get stuck with a minister as a rescuer. (laughs) Hearing this, the passerby wondered out loud how the distressed man knew about his occupation as a religious leader. Well, the man in the tree said, I just assumed you were a minister, as what you have said is both utterly true and absolutely useless in helping me. If you didn't get that, you're slow. Today I'm going to try very, very, very hard not to be like that minister out for a walk. So if you're up a tree or you have a great need in your life my goal is to help you so today I want to talk to you about dangling in trees dangling in trees that should have come up over there sometime it's dangling out there now before I get to the tree thing I would like to briefly go over a few things that most of you probably, majority of you should already know. You should already know this. How many of you have been in church at least more than a week in your life? You should know this. If you've been in church at least a week, you should know this. You know, because there's some things when you walk into a church, it's just sort of osmosis in you. You just automatically know it. It's just like, uh, I know that. Where did I get that? It's just there. It's amazing how stuff works when you go to church. But there's a few things I want to go over as a groundwork. Number one, when God created the earth in Genesis 1, that was plan A. Everybody say plan plan A. That was plan A when he created this. That was plan A. Number two, God has never deviated from plan A. Never deviated from plan A. Number three, when Adam and Eve made the first bad choice, how many of you have ever made bad choices? Don't get mad at Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve made the first bad choice, that did not make make God call a big (coughs) powwow in heaven with the Godhead and say, oh, rats, we now have to go back to the drawing board, try to figure this whole human thing out all over again. Don't they know we spent a millennia trying to get this man thing done? Now we know he didn't say oh, rats," but how many of you know God created rats? You know He did, right? Didn't He create everything? God created rats. Now, just before I get into the meat of the message, where you'll start setting up and and, and tightening up on your seat, I want to just give you a couple of really good reasons of why God created rats. Now, there's 10 top reasons, but I'm going to just give you two, maybe three if you respond correctly. The first reason God created rats is because he knew that scientists would need to do experiments. And humans would not take likely to those experiments. How many of you can see that? Is that a revelation? The second reason that God created rats is because he knew that in 1970 a young struggling author by the name of Stephen King would need a plot for his book, The Graveyard Shift. And because this side responded correctly, I'm going to let you know the third reason God created rats. Because he needed someone to take care of and guide those mutant ninja turtles. (laughs) What does this have to do with my life and the revelation God has for me? The Bible says laughter is good as medicine. And what I'm getting ready to talk to you about this morning, you needed a good dose of medicine first. Our solid groundwork, thoughts, number four, is the plan of redemption. The plan of redemption was God's number one plan from the beginning, or should I say, from eternity past. The plan of redemption. You know, Jesus dying on the cross. That was His plan from the very beginning. When Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He also says that God knew you <coughs> before you were conceived. <coughs> and he still let me be conceived. We're talking about a good God. He's talking about a real good God when I look at some of y'all. Now, God's purpose was to reveal his great love for mankind. This was evident at the cross, which is a tree, but I don't want to get too fast. Let's look a little bit about what it means to dangle from some trees. Of course, the first tree I want to talk about is the cross of Christ. This tree, which held the Son of God, is the center point, the focal point, the most important aspect of your walk with him if you do not have a good grasp and understanding of what all the cross involves and let it be applied in your life then you will constantly in your Christian life deal with issues that you should not have to deal with now I was raised in a Pentecostal church my dad just finished, retired from preaching about five years ago, pastored for 40-some years. I was raised in the Pentecostal church, and they preached the cross and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues and casting out devils and, and all these things, and I enjoyed all that. I was raised in a religious environment. And on May 1st, 1978, I gave my heart truly Christ for the first time. Immediately went to Bible school, met my lady. Now I'm here. Go figure. But we experience our salvation. And we start going to church. And we read our Bibles based on who we're watching on TV to buy this devotional or that one. And some say you can spend... 15 minutes in the Word a day, and you'll be okay. And others will say, uh, We've biohacked that. You can now read five minutes a day, you know, and be spiritually secure. You know, the world, you look at Facebook, you look at TV, everybody's biohacking everything. They're biohacking your brain now. You can just get bulletproof coffee, and you know, you'll be smart. I tried it. I bought the book, read the book bought the ingredients, made it up, about gagged, (laughs) bulletproof. It might be bulletproof, but it was gross, to me anyway. You might like it. If you do, I got some product I'll be glad to sell you that I'm not using anymore. We biohacking anything. I saw just yesterday some young guy from Sweden with blonde hair that just flowed. It was beautiful and he had a ring on his hand, and he was doing all this stuff, and they created, found some, something, and they put in this ring, and when you wear this ring, it, it flows through your body and, and does something, and it biohacks your immune system or something, and I'm like, the world is full. We, every day you see somebody trying to biohack this or, or hack your life, and you know, just quit your job, get a Volkswagen van, and make money on a computer. Now, I sort of like that concept there. I'm gonna pursue it. But but the other one's a little weary. We we experience Christ and we live our life from day to day and we go and we become satisfied. But we need to understand and take a quick glance concerning the cross of Christ. The Messiah is the Passover Lamb, the sin offering. He's the curse bearer. All of these can be found in the writings of Paul. It is amazing (coughs) when you read the New Testament, especially the Pauline epistles, it's amazing how much is full of reference to the cross and the resurrection power and what is given to us through Christ. Why? Because that was the message. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but Paul didn't preach prosperity. Well, I take that back. I think he says, or one of them said, if if you if you don't work, you you don't eat. That's prosperity. I'm hungry. Get a job. Uh, well, my cousins, they're they always uh, living off of me. Tell them to get a job. Uh, the, Bible, the New Testament doesn't talk about all that stuff. The Bible talks about Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. And being raised in church <coughs> my whole life. And pastoring for many years. I had allowed myself to get involved in a Christian life that was full more of the aspects and the little things that will tingle your senses and intrigue your mind. And I allowed myself to get away from the power of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And believe me, my friend, if you get away from the power of the cross and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit working in your life, even though you are born again, you will have a big problem with sin and that sin will destroy you and bring you to the brink of destruction. And we can be all nice and pretty when we come to church, but I would dare say there's at least a small percentage in here today that if it was open and honest, there's things right now that's about to kill you, take your life, and ruin your relationships and your family. The only thing that has to happen is for it to come out. That brings up an interesting process. The whole world, the whole media, everybody's coming out. This, that, and the other. That's fine. The Bible says, first the natural, then the spiritual. And I think the world, what we consider, is figuring this out faster than the Christian community. See, if there's something that God wants to deal with, we always quote those scriptures, He's patient, He's loving, He's kind. And how many times have you come to the altar at a church and you try to tell somebody your story and their prayer, you appreciate it, but their prayers are mostly like, well, Father, we we just take authority over this right now. That from this day forward, they will never have another problem with this. We build a hedge of protection. Now, I'm not making fun. I'm telling you how it works in the truth. And we go through those little motions, <clears throat> and it works for a little while. It feels good. How many of you have went to church on Sunday, and then Monday you got up, you felt pretty good. Tuesday, you didn't feel quite as good, but you could make it. But then your religious body told you you'd be all right because we got to go to church on Wednesday. But you know, then with our modern system and everything, a lot of times. We don't do church on Wednesdays anymore. So, what in the blazes are you going to do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Because Sunday's a long ways away, isn't it? Well, the answer to that is simply, and Pastor Jeremy can teach on this, it's called community. It's called relationships in the church. But Jesus, in the writings of Paul, he was made to be sin for us. Yet because of us, he became poor. He was the glorious victor over rulers and authorities. And much more. Of course, many of us want to look at being born again in our own form and fashion of the cross, and we turn it into a works contract. Well, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to read so much every day. I've got to pray so much every day. <coughs> I can't miss this thing. I can't miss that. And it becomes a works. No, our relationship with Christ is a relationship, not a works contract. It is something that you every day have to build that relationship with you. And I'm where I'm heading is, is I'm going to show you how Sometimes God has to step over the line that you have drawn in the sand and invade your space. Yes, He loves you. Yes, He is patient. Yes, He is kind. But there is a time when God gets fed up and says, Okay, you want to play hardball? You don't want to play flag football anymore. You want to play tackle with no pads. You want to go from underhanded softball to fast ball. You want to play with the big guys. How many of you know you really don't want to get into that with God? But I'm going to show you how his love Is so wonderful and so great that he does that for us. It wasn't the works that sent Christ to the cross. It was the unfathomable unfathomable wisdom of the Father God desiring to display his audacious love to mankind. When Christ died on the cross, it wasn't to keep God from killing you. He wasn't protecting you from the wrath of God. He was expressing to you the love of God. In the garden in Genesis, and I won't read it, but do you know there were two trees in the garden? Well, a lot of trees in the garden, but two in the midst of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which one did God say not to eat of? the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say you couldn't eat of the tree of life. He just said don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now I used to, and I've made a statement many times in sermons in the past that when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to Adam and say, come on, man, you just had one choice. But after I've screwed my life up so much, when I get to heaven, I don't even want to talk to Adam for a while. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to find David. I'm going to find Samson. I'm going to find Peter. I'm going to stay away from Adam. You know? I'm, I'm going to talk to some of those other guys because we are making the same decision Adam did Many days of our life, we're depending on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge, we get puffed up about what we know. And good and evil, we experience in the evil that the world has to offer. And then we try to cover it up with fig leaves. And God says, no more. It's time to deal with this. I have seven minutes. According to God's foreknowledge, through the cross, He has provided another choice—not a choice as a part of Plan B, but a choice that further emphasizes His wisdom and power. The first choice that was available. I won't read it to you, but you need to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, and 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 8. It will give you a beautiful example of what the cross and all this really meant. The cross and the blood of Christ was applied to the mercy seat, not the judgment list. When the priest went in behind the, the curtain to put the blood, they put it on the mercy seat. Now the mercy seat was the lid that covered up the law. So when Jesus died, he says, said he took, and he put, they put his blood on the mercy seat. God's death was for mercy. He's having mercy. He loves us. It's not there with a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of relationship opportunities that we should take advantage of. Instead of spending all of your time trying to figure out what not to do, why don't we write down some things that we should do build that relationship with Jesus Christ and when you're doing the right thing you won't even have to worry about the wrong thing. what is it grandma used to say and I don't mind is the devil's playground how many of you ever played on the devil's playground how many of you have one at your house oh, you don't have to raise your hand lordship the lordship of Christ Lordship refers to your personal relationship and obedience to Christ, your daily living and growth. Headship refers to Christ's relationship to the body of Christ as a whole, the church. Ephesians says he is the head of the body. We we have a pretty good handle on the headship of Christ here. How many of you would agree? Headship referring to Christ's authority in the local church as we grow and build relationships so we got the headship thing going on pretty good here we have good pastors we have good leaders we have good friends relationships in the church it's growing every day it's growing every week so the headship thing we're all working together but it's the Lordship thing is where the issues come in sometimes you know why because the Lordship thing is a personal thing between you and him is he Lord of your life? And you can experience, or see many times you live the lordship aspect in private. When you're riding down the road, nobody with you, is he Lord? When you're at home by yourself and nobody's around, is he Lord? When you're at work, just with your workmates, is he Lord? And even when you're in a group, in your mind right now, sitting here this morning, in your mind thinking and listening to what I'm saying, is he Lord? This whole Lordship is not about what is right and what is wrong. God has the ability to work in your heart to show you what's right and wrong. But if you go at it from the very beginning of what's right and wrong, you're going to be screwed up. Because when you start out with what's right and what's wrong, the result of that is judgmentalism. You begin to judge yourself. Other people judge you. So don't start out by going to God saying, God, what's right, what's wrong? Go to Him and say, I want to know you. Do you know it was wrong? I've been married 38 years this August. I've been married 38 years for three years because I forgot how many years. So people have been asking me for three years, how long have you been married? 38 years. And then i just sitting on the back porch with Steph just past week. Our anniversary is coming up next month. And I said, how many years are we going to be married? 39? She says, no, 38. I said, 38? We've already done that two years. Come on, give me a break. i got to live them all. And especially this last year, I don't want to live it again because it was hell need a different year. I'm hoping 39 is a good one. But you know, when I first married her, it took her many years to train me. 39. And there was years I had to go through. It was years before I knew what to do and what not to do. Now, I get up, take the trash out, put the dishes in the dishwasher, make her coffee, make her breakfast, Get her stuff ready. All she does is get something gets pretty and walks out the door. You know how many years it took her to train me to do that? Six months. No, not really. It took a little longer than that. Remember, laughter is like a medicine. And I'm going to close, and I've got one minute and 45 seconds, so hold on to your seat. I want to close and talk about the fear of God. The fear of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, completing our sanctification in the fear of God. Sometimes cleansing and sanctification needs a little push. And how many of you know God's big enough to push? But it's a push of extreme love. This is a testimony God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in His Son, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. For if while we were sinners we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? I'm going to read about three or four sentences here, and then I want to close by telling you a story. The fear of God is the expression of God's extreme love and discipline. Whom He loves, He disciplines. To feel the fear and love of God at the same time is like walking through fire being bathed in water. You stand on the precipice of hell and have to make a decision. See, here's what happens sometimes in a Christian's life. Sometimes you become so accustomed and lackadaisical in your Christian experience. Because, hey, you've done this for years. You know that you get out of your car and walk in the door, and as soon as you walk in the door, you put on your church expression. Right? You put on the holy look, the holy face, whatever. You have the walk, you have the church walk, and then you have the non-church walk. You know, how many of you know some of you may have a totally different life than what you're expressing right here today? (coughs) Sin, the Bible says lay aside every sin and wait. We're not going to talk about wait today. It's too personal of a thing for me. And besides, that don't really get to the point. But sin. Jesus came and died on the cross to destroy sin. Amen? Can we agree on that? And how many of you, born-again believers, since the day you gave your heart to the Lord, how many of you have ever sinned since then? Raise your hand. Okay. Sometimes there are sins or a sin that will latch hold of you. Any, any witnesses? And it will pick at you day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade waiting for an opportunity to destroy you. And God graciously sometimes steps in and you repent. (coughs) And you feel good and you're excited and I've got victory. And you start reading your Bible again and raising your hand in church and telling the pastor it was a good message whether it was or not. Why? Because you're back in relationship with the Lord. And then time will go. The old saying, time will tell. Yes, it will. Next thing you know, here it comes again. Well, let me just speed this up a little bit. It is possible that it will come to a time that that sin will destroy you. Because there comes a time if you've been in it for a while and you keep on sinning that same sin over and over, you hard-headed person, you you keep doing it. It will destroy your life. And there will come a day, my friend, there will come a day when that sin will reveal itself and threaten to destroy you and everything that you have and you own, most importantly, your soul. And you step back and you say, oh God, what is going on here? (coughs) And all of a sudden you feel physically the fear of God. Most of you have never felt The fear of God. But I want to tell you, when the fear of God comes upon you, as the old saying is, and if this offends you, get over it. It will scare scare the hell out of you. The fear of God. Oh, well, I've got caught by my parents doing something, and that scared me. I'm sure it did. Probably got a whooping. Huh? That's nothing. What I don't want to happen to you is for your sin to get you to the place where the fear of God has to show up in its full force. See, the fear of God is literally His extreme love. The fear of God is really His extreme love, saying, Okay, you want to go this far, I'm going to show you how much I really love you. And what happens when this fear of God is there? All of a sudden, the way you've been living, the sin you've been involved in, whatever it may be, I'm not here to name sins, you know, and if you don't know, I wouldn't worry about it. Don't try to figure one out. You say, I don't have any sin that's bad. Then don't worry about it. Don't try to figure it out. God will show you, not me, I'm not your judge. But I am here to tell you that if there's sin in your life, And God has a purpose for your life. He loves you enough that He will bring and release His fear on you. And what happens when God releases His fear? As I said earlier, you'll find yourself standing on the precipice of hell. And you have a decision to make: Will I jump or will I cry out for mercy? Now let me tell you what happens when you cry out for mercy. When you cry out for mercy, God immediately, automatically brings a group of people, friends, family, loved ones, a small group of people into your life to restore you and forgive you. Then God will automatically give you two or three people that you can be accountable for too. How many of you know when you have to deal with this kind of sin, whatever it may be, the kind of sin when God's fear comes on you? You don't need to go tell everybody. It ain't none of your business. You find somebody that you can trust. And when you do that, and they stay on your case every day, every day, day in, day out, in the middle of the night, You get a text. Hang in there. Don't do that. Uh Uh-uh. And when you look at it and the situation and you've lost your whole life, it went down the drain. And you've lost everything that you've had. And you know it's only going to be the grace of God. I want to tell you folks, with all the love in my heart, I hope you never come to that place. But if there is a sin in your life that no one knows about and it's destroying you, I pray today and release the fear of God in your life. That it will stop you dead in your tracks and bring you to a place where you will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Christ. Oh, did you get saved all over again? No, I was already saved. How many of you know Christians can sin? Shouldn't, but Christians can. And most of the time, we can deal with those things with a little prayer, a little fasting, a little reading of the scriptures. But sometimes, God has to step in in a major way. And I want to tell you, when He does, it is the scariest most lovely thing that you'll ever experience in your life. It's like grandma coming at you with that switch. You're scared to death. But you know there's a biscuit in the kitchen. With a little fried fat bat to go with it. I'll close with this prayer. And Next time, two years from now, when I preach again, I'll only go 20 minutes. I apologize, Pastor. And I still had two pages. Let's pray. Keep, O Lord, we beseech thee, thy household, the church, and thy steadfast faith and love, That by the help of thy grace we may proclaim thy truth with boldness and minister thy justice with compassion. For the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I love you. Uh, you say, "Well, I, I just want because I know that religious spirit's floating around. I can see it. If you 're just wondering what in the blazes happened to you, what was this message all about? i 'll be glad to talk to you, but it will cost you. Steak and lobster lunch. You put a steak and lobster? Then you get the details of the story that will change your life. Uh, Of course, that is a joke. Just in case you didn't get it. Pastor, love you.